Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. We're at the start of a new year. We all get a fresh start with a clean slate just waiting to write our story. And how exciting is it that your 2023 story includes this moment? God has something for you today. He's ready to meet you wherever you are on your journey. Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to take center stage in your story as he births something new in you. And I, for one, can't wait to see what he's up to in your life. Well, and my life for that matter. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because God uses the people on our team to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you. Regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day. And each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today and tomorrow and the next day. Slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, Let's join our service. Welcome. I have to admit that, you know, when I began this study of resilient, I was, you know, kind of ho-hum. I mean, I was feeling pretty worn down and maybe a, a bit emotionally tired, even physically tired. But I'm, I'm a strong woman, and it's just a matter of time before I get back in the groove. Now, most of my life, uh, my specialty has been crisis management. In my family, in my vocation, and just in general, my role is usually the lead in managing whatever crisis comes along. And I'm pretty darn good at it. Uh, usually, I can handle the situation and bounce back, ready for the next one. I'm usually very resilient. But I noticed that over the last few years, with each new crisis, each new trauma, my ability to be that strong leader through the challenge was getting harder and harder. And I wasn't as resilient anymore. And since I'm one of the band leaders on the emotional and spiritual health bandwagon, I figured that I had better spend some focused time with the Lord getting this thing figured out. Now, before you get all, you need to trust Jesus more on me, um, it, it really wasn't that. It, it wasn't that. I mean, I did. I do trust Jesus. I know that he's the creator, the sustainer, my help in my every need, and he is for those that I love as well. And I don't have that thing where I have to be the one to fix it, although some may disagree with that. Anyway, God has, for some reason, called me to crisis management. 
God wired me to be the type of person to grab that bull by the horns before the china shop is demolished or to have a plan to clean up the mess if it gets out of hand. And I don't rely solely on my own strength for that. I rely on him to help. But even so, my grip on those horns was beginning to feel more like trying to hang on to a bull ride in a rodeo, and I was getting pretty beat up. All this to say, um, I was beginning a journey of growth in this area, but still, I'm not desolate, I'm not there yet, or was I? I had to ask myself, does my emotional state reflect my confidence that Jesus is truly Lord over everything, past, present, and future? I mean, maybe you have the bull by the horns and you're doing just fine, or maybe not. This series is not just about how to regain your resilience. It's about how to keep yourself from losing it. Welcome to the second message of our five-week series called Resilient, Strength That Prevails. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come before you today, may we really go to that place where we acknowledge that we tend to strive through instead of thrive through, that we tend to um, rely on ourselves or not tap into you. We tend to put the stuff before you, the circumstances before you. So God, this morning, please go deep in our hearts and into our minds and show us those places that belong to you. In Jesus' name. The world is a dangerous place with many predators. Now, we may not be living with grizzly bears for neighbors, but we are living in difficult times with a dangerous predator whose sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is why it is so important to care for our hearts and be intentional about becoming and staying resilient. Now, I know that we are all tired of referring to COVID. Even so, I'm going to refer to COVID. <laughs> because like it or not, it changed us. Our world has gone through a global traumatic experience. And how many of you said the words, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal? Yeah, that ship has sailed. There is no back to normal, folks. We can only move forward into the future. In the recent past, we have seen political arguments from the national level all the way down to our local governments more than ever in our lifetime. And they've been more violent than ever. We've experienced a divide in our own country like we have never seen before. We've experienced a divide in our own families, divides in our churches like we've never seen before. People have left the church in droves. We've lost the public safety that we once had. 
Record-setting storms, earthquakes, and for those Bible readers out there, it sounds a bit like birthing pains described in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not preaching a message on the end of times, but we are experiencing many of the difficult issues that Jesus warned us would take place prior to his return. Jesus told us that things would get really bad before he returned. And Jesus gave us this one simple bit of advice in Matthew 24. Don't freak out. Jesus wanted, um, Jesus warned us that a lot of bad is on the way, but don't lose heart because the best will follow when we meet him face to face. Hold on, he's coming. And it's so easy to get caught up in the toilet flush of media and allowing it to shape how we see the world. We can't look at our phone without seeing a notification regarding some drama in the world. The news on TV or the radio, same thing. We basically have to cut these things out completely to avoid the negative influence on our attitudes. I don't think avoiding all media and holding up in our own little community is the answer. We're called to go out into the world and to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. How can we do that if we're isolated? Although we should probably limit and monitor our media intake, there's an alternative to completely shutting out the world. An alternative is to focus on the truth about the future instead of the media of the present. In the message version of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, you can see it on the screens. You could look on your uh, device or in your Bible if you'd like. Here's what it says. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne deep in heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. And not just for, not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not, a, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. In order to continue to be resilient... We need to stop seeing the future through the perspective of the world and media. What is perspective anyway? Perspective is defined as what we think is true, my opinion per se, or my truth in relationship to the facts that I know. And all too often, our perspective might be skewed because we actually don't have all the facts. We also tend to think of God's perspective as just a perspective. We fail to acknowledge the gross inequality between our perspective and his. When in fact, God's perspective is the only true and accurate one. 
Here at Dayspring, we are people who believe that all we are and do is rooted in reality as God defines it. We need to continually refocus our thoughts on God's view of the future. We need to align our hearts and our minds with God's perspective. The story of humanity is God's story after all. In order to become and remain resilient, we must learn to hold fast to God's perspective and not allow the world's perspective to weaken our resolve to stay strong in our walk with the Lord in our ministry to, and to others. You know, the story of the world is God's story. It has been from the beginning of time, and it will be for all of eternity. God's story is ever moving forward toward the day when Jesus returns. It's a story of glorious joy and hope in his presence. And the story we see in the media is a temporary and often skewed story that focuses on the now. Oftentimes it focuses on the terrible to be honest, that's exactly what the enemy wants to focus on. That's what he wants us to focus on is the terrible because that's what keeps us from being resilient when times are difficult. That keeps our focus off of God's story, but let's choose to focus on God's story instead. So God's story is basically this. God created humanity to have a deep and intimate relationship with him. And he gave humanity the choice to decide if they trusted God's definition of good and evil or if they were going to try to decide the definition of good and evil themselves. Trusting God equals close relationship. Trusting self, not so much. It actually puts a barrier in the relationship. And this is what we call sin. Sin is anything that puts distance between us and God. Now, unfortunately, humanity chose to decide this definition for themselves. And it's basically the story of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. From that moment in time, humanity has battled with the choice to follow and trust God or to trust their own thinking and ideas. Am I the captain of my own ship, or am I going to give that role to Jesus? Because God still desires that deep, intimate relationship with us, he sent Jesus Christ to be that bridge, to fill the gap that we have created between us and God. Jesus, who is king, gave up everything to come to earth. And I think the truth of Jesus coming to earth is often taken too lightly. I mean, in the biblical description of Jesus' incarnation, his putting on of flesh and bone, we find two opposite words used, great and nothing. And the angel who brings the news to Mary that she will bear the Son of God tells her he will be great. And yet, the apostle Paul Writing to the Philippians about Jesus said in chapter two, two, he made himself nothing. So listen to the words of Dr. Richard Swenson. He says, Jesus made himself nothing. It was the only way infinity could become finite. Through the nothingness gate. 
So he emptied himself. He was born with nothing. He lived with nothing and died with less than nothing. And God, who has the privilege of defining reality, proclaims that in this instant, nothing and great are one in the same. Jesus died for our sins, and he, he created what we call a new covenant between us and God. And this covenant is basically, if you believe and trust in me, Jesus, with, with your life, I will be your personal God for all of eternity. And sometime in the future, I, Jesus, will return to earth to usher in a new earth and a glorious future where we will live forever with God. God's story is that he created us and made a way for us to live for all of eternity, eternity in glory with him. That's the story, God's story, in a little tiny nutshell. Every minute of our lives is moving closer toward the next phase of the story, God's story, which culminates with those who choose Jesus living in glory with God. Now, before the glory will come, Great trials and difficulties that no man can imagine will come first. In Matthew 24, starting with verse 4, Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first birth pains of more to come. So Jesus goes on to tell the disciples about how the end of the world will play out, which includes more terror and more trauma than we could ever imagine. But, but look at what he says in verse, says, in, in verse 6. Jesus says, don't freak out. Well, he doesn't actually say don't freak out. Um, he says in Matthew 24, 6, don't panic. Or maybe in your version it says, see to it that you are not alarmed. Now, if Jesus is encouraging this posture in the midst of the worst of the worst, I'm pretty sure that it applies to our struggles today. The enemy wants nothing more than to have us focus on the trials of today, not the truth of our future. Our battle today is who gets to frame the story. Let's decide to keep God's perspective. So practically speaking, that means that God's story needs to get more airtime in our lives than any other story. More of God's word, less of the world's words on the screen, on paper. We need to focus on God's plan for our future and how we can trust him in it. We need to remember that God isn't just a part of, God isn't just a part of our story. We are a part of God's story. Another part of our challenge is that we always want to go back to what was familiar. I mean, Chris talked about the Israelites last week and how when things were difficult, primarily um, because of their own attitudes toward God and the actions that followed, they would rather return to a life of slavery than move forward into God's story. 
And we're like that too. We would rather go back to what's familiar, even if it's not good, than trust God with our future and the unknown. Well, we think it's unknown. God knows it isn't unknown. And whether we like it or not, God is moving the story, his story, toward the climax. He hasn't dog-eared the page and set it aside and planning to pick it up later. He never puts down the book. The pages are constantly turning and the story is moving forward, which in fact should give us hope and excitement because we know the glorious end of that story. In the meantime, don't freak out. God will provide what we need to make it through this chapter and the next and the next. But remember, we don't just want to make it through this chapter. We want to have reserves for the next chapters so that we don't freak out then either. Much to our chagrin, you know, we are very dependent creatures. We depend on clean air to breathe. We depend on food and water. We tend, depend on sleep to function. We also depend on God to give us what we need to be resilient, but we forget that. Many of us, probably most of us, have a tendency to just gut it out on our own. We've all heard phrases like, pull up your bootstraps and get moving, or put your big girl panties on and deal with it. We all need to have some grit. That is true. But true resilience comes only from God. I mean, we can tough things out for only so long before we collapse under the weight. But God has a never-ending supply of what we need, not only to survive in the pressure cooker, but to thrive in it. So this isn't a matter of just getting her done. It's really about embracing and receiving God's strength and letting it flow through us. So if you don't feel resilient all the time, that's normal. I mean, we are deeply dependent creatures. That's why I love Psalm 73, 26. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And we need to talk about the heart for just a minute because the heart is really the epicenter of God's story. The fact is that the battle between God and Satan has always been over the human heart. Now we know that God ultimately wins, but in the meantime, we are stewards of our hearts. And in order for God to restore humanity back to himself, he had to create a new heart in us. Um, in Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. In order for humans to be reconciled with God, he promised to give us a new responsive heart in the place of our stubborn heart of stone. He promises a new spirit in us when we trust our lives to Jesus. Our 
God begins residing in our hearts the moment we surrender our lives to him. That's the new covenant between God and his people, Jews and Gentiles alike. This makes our hearts the new temple. Now, in the Old Testament times, um, as the Israelites traveled in the wilderness, they had a temporary travel, traveling, say that, say this 10 times quick, (laughs) temporary traveling tabernacle (laughs) as the house of God. You get an extra jewel in your crown if you can do that. Now, this is where, you know, they would worship and God and the priests would uh, perform their duties and it's where they would go to meet God literally. Now, the Bible tells us that the glory of God would come down and fill the tabernacle and this is where they went to experience God. Then eventually, Solomon built an actual temple, uh, a structure which became the temple, and the people worshipped God there, and the priests did their thing, and again, God's presence was with them there as his glory filled the temple. And this is where they primarily experienced God, was in the temple. Fast forward to the new covenant. God changes the location of the temple. The temple that was once man, a man-made structure is now our God-made human hearts. God indwells the hearts of his people, and that is where we meet him today. 2 Corinthians 6.16 And what a union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the reason that this is so important to our resilience is because the glory of God His strength, his power, his splendor lives within us. We have access to it every minute of every day. And this is where we find um, not only our resilience, but our reserves that Chris talked about last week as well. Remember that the glory of God is where God dwells. Now, the word glory is kind of a religious or churchy word. So let's unpack it just a bit. The glory of God is seen in the sun, in the ocean, in nature, in all the beautiful things and powerful things such as a storm. All the beauty and power that we see in creation is all a part of God's glory. And we see miracles in God's word. That's God's glory. There are miracles today that's God's glory. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's God's glory. It's God's generosity, his splendor, his power, his beauty. That's what filled the temple. That's what fills our hearts when we become the temple of God. We are meant to be filled with the glory of God. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about the transformation of our character and how we are becoming more like Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
We need the glory of God to transform us and make us into the men and women that reflect Christ accurately. This transformation comes from God's glory living inside of us. This is the same glory that we tap into for resilience. So let's talk about another reason that resilience is so important. You know, Jesus says that before he returns, there will be a great falling away. And Chris talked about this a little bit last week. As Jesus describes what must happen before he returns, he talks about masses of people falling away from their faith. Now, let's not confuse this with eternal security. Once we belong to God, we always belong to God. But Jesus says in 2 Thessalonians, he also says it in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, that many will fall away. And they will lose heart. They will walk away from their faith. They, they experience some kind of pain or abandonment in their relationship with God and, and they walk away. Many good people will walk away from their faith. Many good people have already. Now again, this is, not a, ser this is a series about resilience. It's, it's, it's not a series on eternal security, which we at Dayspring are a people that believe in. Now, this series is about how to become more resilient. Every time we sin, we're stepping away from God. We know when we're doing it. We know when we're choosing a pattern of doing our own thing instead of staying on track with God's ways. We all take steps away from God and ideally we turn and we seek restoration for the relationship. Some people choose to walk away for a long time. It's a complex issue that only the sovereignty of God can actually clarify. But for today's purpose, when we choose to walk away or, or we choose to even step away, we are opening the door for our heart, our heart to become desolate instead of filled with the glory of God, filled with what John Eldridge calls Eden glory. So we'll unpack that in just a minute. God's story is continuing to move through time, toward the time when Jesus returns. And although we are not currently expecting these or experiencing these terrible challenges of the end times, we are experiencing our own challenges in life that seem to be more difficult to overcome than they used to be. And there's this temptation to give up and to walk away from our faith. It's happening on a large scale right now. Good people are giving up on God, on the power of Jesus in them, and they're walking away. Now remember, this is the age-old battle the battle of our hearts. The battle for our hearts is the age-old battle. The enemy wants nothing more than to bring us to the place of losing heart and giving up on our faith. This is the enemy trying to sow disappointment and division, even desolation into the human heart. Uh, John Eldridge writes, 
Hopelessness infects our faith like a limping caribou. We're beat up and lagging behind, vulnerable to the predators that want to drag our souls into desolation. The enemy is the father of lies who will continue to tell us that we're too weak, we're too tired, we're too done for that fight over our hearts. Remember, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Our human hearts are filled with God's glory, which gives us the strength to say to the enemy, no, you cannot have my heart. We can find the strength and the grace, supernatural strength, supernatural grace to guard our hearts. We've got to guard against the riptide of desolation in our hearts that the enemy is hell-bent on creating. And when I think of desolation, this is what comes to mind. What is the opposite of desolation? I imagine that Eden is the opposite. Eden before the fall, God's beautiful created place where mankind first lived. Lush foliage, beautiful creatures, every human need was met. But Adam and Eve wanted more. They wanted knowledge that God told them they did not need. Now one of the indicators of success of the enemy is our hearts Fear of not having what we need. The fear of scarcity. Fear that, that isn't, there isn't enough for me. I mean, we saw that on a global scale recently. Does toilet paper come to mind? <laughs> I mean, there was a fear of scarce, scarcity nationally over toilet paper. Uh, this toilet paper experience is just an example of how humanity will scramble and grasp and even fight over a perceived need. Uh, Black Friday also comes to mind. But here's the funny thing. Well, not funny ha-ha, funny like pathetic. We will duke it out in the aisle of a store for TP and a flat screen on sale. But we fail to fight for the protection of our heart. Uh, maybe because we tend to assume that, you know, since God lives there, it's his house to take care of. Or maybe we consider him a renter and therefore we get to set the rules. That's probably more accurate. You can live here, but I'm in charge. We're accustomed to using our strength, to using our grit, to push through, to get things done to be a good Christian, to get through the crisis. All too often, we fail to ask God for help in the maintenance of our hearts so that our reserves are full and, and we aren't operating out of an empty tank. We ask for help in so many areas, but how often do we sit quietly before our living God and through his Holy Spirit, ask him to help us receive his abundant glory to regenerate our joy and our strength and our love for others. 
How often do we ask him to receive this assurance of his abundance, to experience the fullness of his Eden glory in our hearts? Now, I'm going to take um, these next few moments, and I want to pray over you. You can find this prayer uh, at the end of chapter 4 of, of the book, Resilient, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times. Some of these words may be different than you're used to, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Don't freak out. Sometimes discomfort is that little nudge that we need to shift into a better position. So I ask that you join me in your spirit, position your heart before God, and ask him for these things for yourself. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I receive your glory into my being. I receive the glory that fills the oceans, the glory that sustains the sun. I receive the glory that raised Christ from the dead. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I am your temple, Lord. Come and fill your temple with your glory. I also pray that your Eden glory would shield me against all forms of desolation coming over my life. I renounce every agreement I might have made with desolation, every agreement, large or small. I choose you, God. I renounce the falling away and I choose you. Regardless of how I feel, I choose you, Lord. You are my God and my Savior. I pray that your Eden glory would fill my life, restoring me, renewing me, granting me supernatural endurance and resilience. I also invoke your Eden glory over my life as a shield, over my household and domain. I invoke your glory, love, and kingdom as my constant strength and shield in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ruler of heaven and earth. Amen.
thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.